electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Market Moving Insight and Analysis. Join Jim Cramer, David Faber, and me, Carl Quintanilla, on the opening bell hour of CNBC Squawk on the Street. Good Monday morning. Welcome to Squawk on the Street. I'm Carl Quintanilla with David Faber at the New York Stock Exchange. Kramer is at one market in San Francisco as Dreamforce is set to begin. Full coverage from Jim all week long. Stocks were aiming for fresh records this morning, but they've been pulled south from a tweet from our Eunice Yoon saying China is now pessimistic about a trade deal and that their strategy is now to, quote, talk and wait. Europe is mostly red, uh, 10-year 182. Our roadmap this morning begins with the record run for stocks. Dow is set to try to climb above 28K at the open. S&P in the midst of its biggest, longest rally in two years. Plus an executive shakeup at T-Mobile. As I've been reporting for months now, John Ledger is officially set to step down as CEO. It'll be next year. The shares are moving lower ahead of the open. And FedEx versus The New York Times. CEO Fred Smith challenging the paper's publisher to a debate after its expose alleging the shipping giant paid no taxes in 2018. And coming up next hour, it's an interview you won't want to miss. Snap CEO Evan Spiegel will join us exclusively. Let's start with Jim and his big week in San Francisco. Jim, uh, the guys on Squawk were just, just asking you how you got out there so quickly after the Eagles game last night. Well, Philadelphia, too, has red eyes, and uh, my eyes are red and from crying <laughs> because the, we had a chance to be able to really seal our fate, and uh, we sold it already in the wrong way. But, you know, look, you, you want to come out here during Dreamforce because everybody, as anybody, does come out. And I think that the star of this quarter, as we heard from Mike Santoli, is tech. So we got to hope that momentum continues. In the meantime, uh, the most important tech story is the, st- is the tech story that David owns, because what it does say is there is a need for the companies in the no growth mode to get together in order to be able to have any earnings per share growth. Uh, we have seen actually a bunch of macro desks uh, this morning and over the weekend, Jim. J.P. Morgan Asset Management, uh, certainly Morgan Stanley's the more notable one, saying we're going to raise our base case 10 percent for year end 2020. Uh, we don't think that changes the trajectory of earnings growth. And we think the Fed is truly on hold, as they said over the weekend. We are on our own when it comes to uh, interest rate cuts. Uh, but I wonder if you think this is can we call this capitulation at all? Yes, that's exactly what it is, because people recognize at these big firms that there isn't anything that's going to derail uh, unless we have PAL. Right. Remember, PAL really crushed us in, in uh, from October till December. But it seems like everybody's kind of just said, listen, don't do anything important. Let things ride. The research this morning is really indicative of just hold your stocks. You'll be fine. Uh, the research is a little too benign. I think that Eunice Yoon's, uh tweet has more to say than anything that we can possibly put together this morning. Uh, we're going to try to get Eunice on TV later on. Uh, As we should. As oh, we right. should. That is certainly an important uh, important bit of news she's sharing in terms of her sources, government sources, telling her again, just to reiterate, that, that uh, yeah, there's, uh, there's no tariff rollback is becoming a real issue for the Chinese. I guess Eunice will be or is available right now. I think we got her now. Eunice, your, your tweet... Your, your tweet did move uh, the pre-market, and then you go on to talk about how 
in addition to sort of talking and waiting, maybe this reverse repo uh, cut, uh, rate cut, that first we've gotten in four years, they're going to continue to manage uh, stimulus at the margin. Yeah, that's right. Uh, the focus now appears to be on uh, making sure they're able to uh, support the domestic economy. But in terms of what this government source had told me, who's familiar with the trade talks, uh, he had said that um, the uh, Chinese are feeling that it might not be possible to do a deal with President Trump, that recently there were some remarks that he made that really soured the mood within the government. Uh, first of all, he said that uh, that about a week ago, President Trump Trump had said that uh, that phasing out the tariffs uh, might not be part of an agreement. Uh, that was very troubling for them because uh, he, they, he said that on the Chinese side, they felt that there was an agreement, at least in principle, to have a phase out of tariffs. Uh, also, he mentioned that there were uh, several uh, there were still disagreements over some of the basic points within a phase one deal. Uh, he said that, uh, for example, uh, the specific targets, the U.S., as you guys know, uh, wants to have a commitment of 40 to $50 billion worth of agricultural purchases. Uh, but he said that the Chinese don't want to uh, be uh, pinned down with that kind of number and also have been getting a lot of complaints um, from trading partners. So he said that the Chinese don't want to alienate those trading partners. And then finally, he said that another uh, thing that the, the Be Beijing people People in Beijing are watching is the political environment in the United States, uh, and that one of the reasons why they're thinking of waiting and, and watching more is because of the possible impeachment of the president, of the election that's only a week, a year away. And so um, with all of that um, as a backdrop, uh, they're feeling that it might be better just to, to hold things off and instead focus on supporting economic growth here. Uh, Eunice, don't go too far, Jim. It does sort of dovetail with what Kudlow said uh, over the weekend, and that is that a phase one deal theoretically might not have to be signed by uh, President Trump and she could be go could be signed at the ministerial level. Yeah, look, the idea of them uh, Chinese waiting, uh, I think, is at odds with what they must do for their economy. It means that the, the mid-December tariffs are going to go up. Uh, what I get, it's very rare to find a company uh, of any sort that has done big business in China that isn't trying to pull out as fast as possible. So I, I know that we always seem to think that the Chinese are all powerful, but the, the longer that Trump delays tariffs, the more time they have to be able to get out of China. And there's even Foxconn start talking about getting out. They have a huge number of plants there, Taiwanese company. So I don't know what the Chinese think that they're going to get if they wait. I think the Chinese must recognize that the, uh, that the impeachment is unlikely in the Senate uh, to be found guilty. And that I don't know if they're reading any of the things that we're getting from Elizabeth Warren. Some of her tweets this morning. Elizabeth Warren's very hard line on China. So they may actually feel that they can wait. I think that they're making a huge mistake because when those tariffs go up, it is going to be another clarion call to get the hell out of China. Uh, well, uh, we're going to watch that, obviously, uh, Jim. In the meantime, we're getting a little more extension on some Huawei licenses, more discussion about whether we truly delay EU auto tariffs. I, I'm, a big part of the discussion this morning is if you are a CapEx manager, are these incremental delays enough to give you confidence to spend? Well, I, look, I think that, that Chuck Robbins talked about how Cisco didn't have it, that the enterprise is uh, shaking here. But we have also have a lot of Salesforce kind of, uh, let's say, software companies not seeing any slowdown there. There was a work down, a workday downgrade uh, by Morgan Stanley. But 
I still think our companies are in pretty good shape. And given the fact that we're in retail uh, earnings, I think even six months ago, we would have felt that their earnings were going to be compressed. Margins were going to go down because of the uh, tariffs. It hasn't happened. The, the, there we have a Matthew Boss upgrading five below. There was a time five below sources, 25 percent from China, but they haven't been hurt. I keep looking for retailers that have been hurt. I know that some of the companies that go and do a lot of business with Huawei have been hurt, but it's been very minimal, been very minimal. Interesting. Um, speaking of uh, Huawei into wireless, into a uh, important announcement this morning, guys, from uh, T-Mobile, although I hope not a surprise for our viewers because I've certainly been talking about it uh, for months now given how many people close to this company had been indicating that uh, John Ledger was going to step down as the company CEO to, to be uh, replaced by Mike Sievert, who's currently the president uh, of the company. They've made it official, uh, however, this morning. And for those perhaps who hadn't been following it as closely as, uh, as others, it may be something of a surprise, though. Uh, May 1st will be, uh, or April 30th, will be the last day that uh, John Ledger, the highly successful and longtime CEO of T-Mobile, holds that job. He will be replaced by Mr. Sievert as the company's uh, CEO. Sievert's new title will be president and CEO. Ledger will remain, by the way, on the board of directors, um, but uh, he will be free uh, beyond that, of course, to pursue whatever it is he wants to. There have been some talk. I've been reporting on it as well of his at least you know, interviewing for the job, uh, top job, but we were very much unclear whether that would actually happen. Uh, and they've been looking at a lot of candidates there. Um, but again, this was not unexpected. You know, in reporting as closely as I was on the conversations that went on for quite some time between T-Mobile and the Department of Justice to try to iron out that consent decree that they finally agreed to, many people around that had made it clear that Mr. Sievert was deeply involved in those conversations. They were very impressed with him, by the way, as well. Uh, and that they had all come away with, under the full impression that he was going to be taking over. And so this has been something they've been thinking about and talking about and planning for for quite some time. Uh, Ledger's contract does expire at the end of April as well. Um, and, Jim, I've been trying to get people not focused on this, but focused on what really is the most important thing, which is the beginning of the trial where the state AGs who oppose the transaction are going to have the chance to, to present their case uh, and that begins December 9th, right here in New York. The star witness, as I pointed out as well, is going to be Charlie Ergen, who they're going to be coming out saying, are you really going to represent a significant player in the wireless market in 5G and therefore a real fourth competitor? And obviously have a lot of questions about that. It should be very interesting. But that's the key here. Mr. Ledger's leadership certainly has been incredibly important. But I think many shareholders already were under the anticipation that he would not be here once this deal is either completed or not let's call it next spring into next summer. Uh, what I'm finding is, is that a lot of the component companies that do business with Huawei ha have made it so that because of the, the strictures, that Huawei fell behind. I mean, I think that this was something that did, people didn't feel possible. Uh, there are so many companies, American companies, that are embedded in 5G. Uh, whether, whether it be everybody, you know, you a Qualcomm that's involved, Micron's involved, uh, Marvell Tech's involved. And they've all been they've all been held back. Uh, I just think that if an American company wants to advance and do a lot with 5G, we know that Verizon's there talking. We know that uh, ATG's there talking. But, David, this is the company that, that they are positioning themselves as being the leader in 5G. If you just let them get together 
And I, I don't know how the balance sheet's so bad, but I've got to admit that my ledger's been a great spokesman for the person for the team. I don't know. Uh, I don't yeah. know where they really are in 5G. I don't know. Well, they've got a great. Nobody they've got knows. great. They will have a great spectrum position, given Sprint's in particular yes. uh, spectrum is particularly good for the uh, mid-band range. That really is helpful in terms of 5G. Um, it will require, as you say, a great deal of capital. By the way, that comes back to the argument when those, there are those who say Mr. Ergen's efforts are not as robust as they otherwise should be, because he's talking about trying to do it with 10, 11 billion dollars. Many say that's just a drop in the bucket for what you really need in terms of actually creating a 5G nationwide network. Now, there will be more beyond that, but that's the number he's been sort of pointing to, at least in his public comments when I've seen him at the Goldman Sachs conference or at a couple of other places of late. Um, We'll see. But uh, the key is going to be December 9th. What happens to the deal itself? And remember, if, in fact, that deal is opposed, there's no um, extension of the merger agreement at this point. So... While they are fully committed to it, and they just said so on the, on the conference call just moments ago, T-Mobile, in terms of the Sprint deal, they can pull out at virtually any time. Uh, and that's got to be a key question for people. So we'll see how the trial goes when it begins three or so weeks from now and what happens. Um, a lot of ramifications from it. The future of DISH, the future of Sprint being two of the key ones. David. Who is Sievert? Because we know we know who Ledger is. Ledger's a guy who actually rallied the rank and file. I mean, he's regarded as being a modern leader of our times. Uh, Sievert, I, is he following in the footsteps? Yes. I mean, he was hired in 2012. Um, and in fact, Ledger says, I hired him and I've mentored him as he took on increasingly broad responsibilities. Um, He's well prepared, they say, to lead the company into the future. There's a deep understanding of where it's been, where it needs to go. I will tell you separately from the reading from a press release quote here from Ledger that, again, the people that I spoke to who were involved in those key negotiations said he was, in their opinion, very strong uh, in, in terms of his understanding of what needed to get done and making it happen. Well, I mean, right now, John Ledger's telling us, David, I don't know if you got that tweet, <laughs> That he's talking talking about analysts right now. I mean, he, he kind of is a close follower, maybe a little closer than we are, of what we're saying. Uh, very excited. Obviously, if it's his guy, he's happy to tweet to us. David, check your direct message. It's pretty positive. I will. And I know that's how we communicate with John. Not that he ever tells us anything. But I did go back at him the last time, didn't I, Jim? And I said, I know you're getting replaced. When are you going to announce it? He didn't respond. Well, I mean, you knew Siebert, you knew <laughs> Siebert the, when Siebert was just... <laughs> When, when Siebert was just a, a glint in his mother and father's eyes, you nailed Siebert. But I look at, the, I look at our direct message. It looks like John's still running the meeting, and he's not on a Peloton. I, and maybe right. he hung his jacket on a Peloton. Peloton's been coming back. We'll have to check. Now, people have been joking about Twitter's uh, engagement, overall engagement, if, if, in fact, John is less active, because he is. it gets meta with John on Twitter. You're reading it right now, aren't you, David? Yes, I am. Yes, I'm taking a look. I was told by, good, by Mr. Kramer to take, check my direct messages, yes. and I'm doing so. When we come back, uh, David's got the latest on uh, HP rejecting that takeover bid from Xerox. And then, as you know, uh, Snap CEO Evan Spiegel's with us today. We're going to talk with him later on this morning. Shares of Snap have more than doubled this year. We'll get Kramer's mad dash. We'll get to Federal Express, FedEx, Ford. Uh, there's news on Workday and Philip Morris. A lot more as Squawk in the Street continues. What's on the horizon for financial markets? 
At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. 12 minutes to go before we get started here with uh, trading for the week. But let's get a mad dash. Cross country it is this time. AMD is the name, Jim. Something, David, that really just strikes me as being uh, talking about All-Star. Do you know that Cowan this morning says after a meeting with Lisa Sue, after a meeting with the CEO, they're confident and they've got to raise their price target. They have nothing else on it. They're going from 40 to 47. It's just that Lisa Sue is so impressive. Now, last week, we had a quarter from NVIDIA. I, I happen to like the NVIDIA call, but a lot of people are saying AMD is ahead of NVIDIA when it comes to gaming. Uh, Lisa Sue will be on the show on Thursday. Look at the stock, David. It's up 130% this year. How many of those do you have? Uh, I don't have many. Well, I'm not allowed to own stocks no. other than Comcast, which is up about 33%, which we're not complaining well, about. Well, that's just... I, uh, I know this is about you. It was kind of a rhetorical cla- question. Oh, okay. Uh, I, but I thought I did, I'd answer yeah, it. Yeah. I, I, uh, no, I'm so glad that you were so granular. But I, I just like the fact that AMD <laughs> reported in the last quarter that people didn't really care for her. And just, because Lisa Sue is such an MVP player, you know what? She, you, you know, Brady didn't have a good game. Uh, I no. think she's better than Brady. Yeah. She's better than well, that's Brady. Not e- that's, he was throwing the ball all over the place and not necessarily no, she's near. A bit he, like had, he had 14 incompletions in the first, first half. That was the most he'd ever had, I think, in his career. That's why, we need Lisa, that's why we need Lisa Sue. She can do anything, David. Anything. Really? She and can she's throw from a 40-yard pass on a dime right to the oh, sideline. She can do that? Yeah, okay. On her no back problem. heel, going full, right out in the end zone. <laughs> David, Queens' zone. You know what? She even she plays, I'd say, at a level that we've not seen a Silicon Valley uh, exec other than, yes, Jensen Wong, who a lot of her cousin, who a lot of people feel that she's doing a better job at. I disagree. Right. I think they're uh, six or eight dozen. Yeah. No, Jensen Wong can throw from all those different angles, kind of like Mahomes. He's known for that. Jensen yeah. Wong, can, he can run it in. We'll see him tonight. By the way, uh, Jim, you're going to want to stay tuned because we have an exclusive interview coming. Evan Spiegel, Snap CEO. More squawk in the street oh, straight geez. ahead. We'll count you down to the Get a selfie. Get a selfie. Every day, thousands of Comcast engineers and technologists put people at the heart of everything they create. Like Olu Shehi, a Comcast engineer who grew up bonding with his dad over sports. This inspired him and his team to create AI Highlights technology that uses AI and machine learning to detect the major plays in a sporting event. So millions of fans have a way of catching up on their favorite sports. Learn more at ComcastCorporation.com. Let's get straight to the point. You want to grow your portfolio to fight rising costs of inflation or pay off your debt or anything standing in the way of you and financial freedom, right? Yahoo Finance, our sponsor today, can help. 
For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been helping great investors like you. Whether you're a seasoned investor or just looking for tips, Yahoo Finance makes it super easy by putting all the tools and data you need in one spot. Yahoo Finance takes a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and more. You can securely link your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth, including 401k and other investments. That's how Yahoo Finance gives you insights and helps you take a look at your wealth in its entirety. That big picture perspective is what great investors need. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor. YahooFinance.com, the number one financial destination. YahooFinance.com. That's YahooFinance.com. Big week on Tapas. We'll get uh, some flash PMIs on Friday. Uh, obviously, October end earnings all week long. Some minutes from the Fed and the ECB on Wednesday. For the time being, though, China trade has futures uh, slightly down. Opening bell in seven minutes. You're watching CNBC Squawk on the Street, live from the financial capital of the world. The opening bell in four minutes on this busy Monday as we watch uh, China trade, obviously, more violence in Hong Kong. Uh, FedEx is the other big story, firing back against the Times piece over the weekend about the company's tax bill. Fred Smith challenging the paper's publisher to a debate after its tax expose about the shipping giant. The paper says between 2017 and 2018, they managed to cut their tax bill from $1.5 billion to zero as its effective tax rate dropped from 34 to less than zero. The Times says this came after FedEx and its CEO lobbied hard for the tax cuts. In a statement last night, Smith called the report distorted and factually incorrect and then challenged the publisher and the business editor of The Times to that public debate. The Times has yet to respond to Smith's challenge. bigger part of the story, David, was how the correlation between uh, tax benefits and CapEx spending, really hard to find. Agreed. So. I mean, I think, you know, again, and, and there's a quote from uh, Mr. Smith responding to that in terms of challenging A.G. Salzberger to uh, a debate. Um, and, yeah, on that, in terms of FedEx's tax bill, particularly as the, it had the impact, as it had for so many others, the, 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 the Tax Act itself, of minimizing their future liability. Not completely clear how the how the Times came to their numbers. But, Carl, I agree with you. The larger takeaway, cited in a number of different places in the story, was simply that rates are lower than had been anticipated even under the tax bill and that the expected benefit in terms of capital investment has not really been there. Uh, we all know that we're facing trillion-dollar deficits in part as a result of that, uh, of that tax uh, bill itself, Jim. Um, and the question is, was it really worth it given we don't seem to have seen an appreciable increase in capital investment uh, over time. Well, look, I think the issue here is the six million shares that uh, uh, that he bought back, which is something that people were saying over and over again, the critics of this, they're just going to buy back stock. They're not going to do anything. You know what's funny, David? I think that FedEx underinvested during this period. Uh, we had David Abney on from, uh, from United Parcel. He spent a fortune, and a lot of people feel that FedEx is not ready. The, the problem with FedEx was that it, it made such a big commitment to China. And, and you, if, if China had not had such a uh, – had not become pariah, I think that Fred Smith would have spent more. But that was his business. He was building up China and building up the hub here. I don't know whether he feels that a bang for the buck was going to happen. If you were to open China, the guy was ready. 
Uh, but, gee, six million shares, I don't know we should really fall them that much. That's not that big a buyback over a two-year period. No, but I couldn't help thinking as I read the story, Carl, that uh, the Times failed to point out the stock has been terrible, as we know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that despite their efforts to get their tax rate as low as possible, and obviously being a champion of the, of the Tax Reduction Act for corporate America, it didn't really help them at all. I mean, we, all we've sat here and done, right, Jim, for the last quite some time, certainly after the last earnings report, is talk about, as you said, potentially underinvestment, losing out to U- UPS, which made the investment that they needed to. It's a dog. I mean, I think that Fe- I think that look, Fred Smith is a great economist. I met Fred through Larry Kudlow. Uh, Kudlow and Kramer he was a regular guest. But I think FedEx is kind of caught here. They were developing this great international presence, and suddenly China's been shut down. Uh, and plus, they're also going to be hurt by Brexit. They don't really know. When you go over to Britain, you don't. You know, there's signs all over the place. We don't really know how much the tariffs going to be. So FedEx is a little more caught than uh, United Parcel, which I think is very, very ready for the holiday season. Let's get the opening bell on the S&P 500 at the CNBC Real-Time Exchange with the big board of Cicely Lale Materials Handling, maker of lift trucks at the NASDAQ, Fortinet provider of cybersecurity solutions. Jim, uh, talking about policy and its impact on corporate America, a lot of discussion over the weekend about Elizabeth Warren uh, some say sort of retrenching a bit on her Medicare for all. Obama telling uh, Democrats not to give in to the far left wing of the party. Uh, does this mean that healthcare stocks have a reason to run? Absolutely. I think the managed care stocks, you, you thought that they went up because uh, if you look at the timing of when Elizabeth Warren put out her plan versus when uh, Trump started talking about more transparency. Transparency didn't really do anything for the managed care. But when her when her statement came out that she would delay anything for three years, that was the clarion call that she's not as left as you thought. And that's what drove Humana, which has been the bellwether. That's what drove, uh, uh, boy, it, it drove every single one of these. But United Health, which had taken a shot at the Democratic Party, that stock would not quit. So a softer Elizabeth Warren is something we're going to have to start expecting. I was shocked that she did this. She is the yep. single payer option. It was amazing. Uh, UNH is the best Dow component. You got Buttigieg running number one uh, in Iowa, Iowa, uh, cover of the Des Moines Register over the weekend, standing on top of a hill as Warren and the others are trying to climb it. So I don't know. Uh, She has backed. She's back to levels that she saw a few months ago. I know Biden has also lost support as Buttigieg has gained support in Iowa. Again, we've made this point. There's still a lot of time to come, even before the Iowa caucuses, let alone so many other things. And when we've looked at previous uh, nominating processes. Many uh, David, of the people in low single digits at this point ended up being in a much different position later later on, didn't they, Jim? But, David, can I just challenge something that you've been saying? Sure. As we get closer, aren't we closer? I mean, you've been saying all along that we are far <laughs> from it. I feel that we are getting closer. It's just something that happens with the count. You can disagree. I, I, I am happy well, to no, say I that. But there's a day, now we are. I think there's a day, Jim, where you're no longer far and you're close. That day hasn't come yet. You. I don't know where it you, is. You. Even from out in California, David, you, are, you have horse sense. It's an incredible. I know. It's just amazing. I, I don't know, know where it As comes I like from. to say. It's all about, David, it's all about TikTok. It's yes, you do. Uh, by the it's way, all about who is TikTok. the first person? Who is the first person to tell you about TikTok? 
Who was it? The same person who told me about who's going to replace John Ledger. That's right. That's right. I remember it was Did the John only thing Ledger I ever know? said to you. You're like, what's TikTok? <laughs> it's like TikTok. I know. I thought it's it was TikTok. I had, I had eaten a Tic Tac off the floor of a Lamborghini factory. David, did, did, uh, did, I want to ask you, did John Ledger yes. learn from you that he's going to be replaced? <laughs> you know, I was looking back. I think I did it on the 19th of, uh, yeah, four months ago. Um, oh, look, somebody actually tweeted it. Thank you, Brandon. Uh, and you turned to me then and said, what? Uh, but now it's official. Well, uh, John Ledger does, uh, the company announces this morning, his last day will be April 30th as CEO. He will be, uh, he will be uh, succeeded by Mike Sievert, the company's uh, current president. Uh, not a surprise for many, of course. Uh, here's what Ledger had to say uh, in terms of, um, well, even more importantly, what it means for and where things stand in terms of the long process of trying to get that acquisition of Sprint over the finish line. I feel quite good uh, that we have the basis um, for settling this deal, and I feel uh, equally as good, if not better, on our ability to win this case uh, in a trial. So we're certainly, uh, we're certainly in a very good spot. Interesting that he raised the possibility of settling this deal. Again, remember, less than a month from now, the state AGs in opposition to the merger of Sprint and T-Mobile will go to court to challenge that deal on antitrust grounds, saying it's anti-competitive. Interesting, Jim, he brought up this idea of a basis for settling. Uh, that would be obviously seen as a real positive by the market. Yeah, look, I, this is something that if you look at the arc of what happened, when it was first proposed, I, I know I laughed. I laughed because could 5G be that important? At this point, I think that whoever can help us in 5G is going to get a leg up from the feds because there is such a the, the antipathy toward China and 5G cannot be underestimated. There are three other companies in China that I think are now ahead of Huawei. Uh, and are regarded as being less owned by the government. By the way, David, I just want to point out, I don't know if you've seen how Hong Kong, that they couldn't even get the J.P. Morgan Conference uh, roadshow on the Alibaba deal. They're saying, obviously, that, look, don't worry about it. It's because people know it. I understand that the protesters didn't want it to happen. It's significant. No doubt about that. Again from me here to saying something you know, but uh, in terms of what's going to happen and what the impact is there uh, in Hong Kong, no doubt. Um, do, do we talk about it enough? I, you know, well, I mean, the story this morning is from Eunice Yoon, as you know, Jim, our own Eunice Yoon. I mean, the S&P is only down 0.16. We've been talking in recent sessions about is the market taking into account the possibility we won't see phase one signed in the near term. But there, there, there seems to be this stubborn optimism that, in fact, we'll get there, regardless of what we may be hearing from the Chinese side or not. Well, I think that Larry Kudlow is the uh, person who is the stubborn optimist. The other wing, David, uh, in the White House is saying, listen, we could have a deal, but the Chinese have to move first. And it, it does re- revolve around pork. Uh, I know that people think that that's uh, soporific and just insane, actually. But if, if, if the Chinese don't order the pork first, then I've got to tell you, we're not going to have a deal. And the retailers are going to be deeply affected because people are going to realize that the fourth round of tariffs are coming. Watch Macy's reports this week. They're regarded as being the company that is the least, uh, let's say, uh, 
way to be able to get around the tariffs, that they could be hurt the most. So we want to watch that. Uh, I, I wish that I knew which way it would go. But if, if the Chinese don't buy the pork, uh, th- they don't buy the bacon, they're not going to bring home the bacon. Uh, we're going to get a lot of uh, October end earnings, Jim, as we look uh, for some follow through from the Walmart numbers uh, from last week. We'll get a better sense of how the consumer's been doing on a more rounded uh, basis. Ford's the other big story, Jim. I'm sure we'll talk to Phil LeBeau later this morning. But the Mustang Mach-E, their first all-electric uh, SUV, pretty good range, uh, up to 300 miles, depending on the configuration. And we're going to be hearing a lot more uh, from the other big three automakers regarding electric in the le- next couple of years. It is amazing how much Ford has to spend and whether their balance sheet can handle it. They've sworn over and over again about the dividend. Uh, the amount of money that they have to put in for an EV, a, a, any EV cars are incredible. These guys are now really, I'd say, very far away from the Alan uh, Malali vision of uh, when the stock was at, in 2011, when the stock was at 18. The stock's at nine. Uh, the stock has no real support here. Uh, it sells at seven times earnings. People feel that the earnings are illusory. Uh, the dividend is the most important thing, not the uh, new Mustang. Uh, I feel like that, that it, let's just say they're the weakest of the major auto companies. Yeah. Also, a uh, warning out of Volkswagen today for 2020, and they joined Daimler and Nissan. So uh, autos, Jim, continue to be one of the more uh, troubled parts of the global economy. Look, they've got a plan of 52,000 people in Puebla, Mexico, where they make their cars. And I thought it was very interesting that Bill Ford said, listen, we're making this Mustang in Mexico. And then he added the caveat that they had already planned to do it. If you can't make your cars and trucks, well, mostly your cars in Mexico, you're not going to be competitive. And I think one story that we've been overlooking is the, no- the amount of loan going to autos that, comp- that people are now underwater on. I don't want to lose track of this. It's obviously not as bad as the housing strike of 2007, which really crushed us. But we should be more focused on auto loans. They are not coming through as great as we thought they'd be. Uh, it's going to be a busy week, as we said, Jim, uh, for Apple, as uh, we do expect to see Tim Cook and the president in Austin, where the new Mac Pro is going to be assembled. Not doing a whole lot today, but obviously has set a series of record highs. Right. He'll also be speaking at Dreamforce, where uh, I am. Uh, his, this is a new thing. He has not been a speaker here. Uh, the stock remains uh, the leader in this market. I don't understand how the, uh, this Tim Cook is remarkable. He seems to have the support of both the Chinese and the president. It's a special relationship with both sides. And I think that a lot of the bears said it couldn't be pulled off. Hats off to Tim Cook that he's been able to be in the middle and, and seem to be liked by everybody. It's uh, really incredible. Um, guys, uh, time to do one of the big uh, M&A uh, pieces of news. Really came out yesterday. Not really. It did. It came out yesterday. But, of course, today is the first day we get to see the stocks trading. And that is uh, HP uh, and, of course, Xerox. Um, Yesterday, the board of directors unanimously rejected Xerox's uh, proposal to acquire the company. We've reported on it, of course, uh, 22 bucks a share, 77 percent in cash. The remainder in stock would have had the effect of uh, HP holders owning roughly 48 percent of the combined company. Xerox, for its part, saying it had the uh, the financing lined up. 22 bucks. That's where it was. They say no way. Um, at, uh, at, at Hewlett-Packard. Um, but they do leave the door open to a certain extent towards uh, potential talks between the two companies. And I would note it's interesting that 
We have not heard from Xerox. They have not put a press release out responding in some way to the rejection of their, uh, of their offer. Um, they did send this letter again uh, to, uh, to John Byzantine, uh, Xerox's vice chairman and CEO, in which they questioned some of the basics of uh, Xerox's business uh, in terms of a decline in its revenues from $10.2 billion to $9.2 billion on a trailing 12-month basis. And this does go back to reporting that I did uh, last week, I think it was last week, in which I'd said that Xerox had actually had talks with HP about being acquired by HP, but those talks had been cut off after HP asked for extensive diligence and time to do it. Now, there's been a lot of back and forth there in terms of what they really said or what they wanted. NDAs weren't signed at the time, but I can tell you that they certainly did do what I'm told was a fairly deep dive on synergies. Remember, Xerox decided as much as $2 billion in cost synergies from a deal. But at this point, you've got HP leaving the door open by saying, we remain ready to engage with you to better understand your business and any value that can be created from a combination, recognizing the potential benefits of consolidation, they say, as well, and whether there is value to be created through it. So the question, of course, becomes, well, what's it going to take to get these two companies in a room to sort of work out whether or not something can be signed to allow them to do due diligence on each other? Unclear at this point. The nominating window for directors on uh, HP's board opens on Christmas, uh, December 25th. It would close roughly a month later. Would there be a proxy fight? The presence of Carl Icahn is a significant shareholder in both companies. Certainly can't be overlooked. He is one who is in favor of a deal, says he would own the combined company stock, not up for any cash, uh, potentially under any uh, a deal itself. But I will tell you, it does appear that there is still a fairly wide breach here. And the question is, what are the shareholders of HP going to say? What is the board going to feel in terms of its need to actually engage in some fashion to make sure that its shareholders feel it did as much work as is required here to say, hey, this is not something that we think can really work. Um, the current price, I'm told, is not even close in terms of value. Uh, there is a belief on the HP side that the plan that they have in place in terms of cost cutting uh, will extract a good deal of value for their shareholders. They're executing on that right now. They obviously are having a change in leadership of the company in terms of the CEO with the unexpected departure of Dion Weisler. Um, but they are open to that idea of consolidation. They do, however, want to understand that decline in Xerox's business. And there is this idea, I think, at least among some in the HP camp, that there's an, uh, a sense of desperation on the part of Xerox to try to get something done. Obviously, Xerox would say just the opposite. And in fact, it's simply the fact that they move faster than HP, the bureaucratic HP, which needs forever to sort of take a look at things and make decisions. If they move faster, their leadership team is the one that can deliver on those $2 billion in cost synergies, can get it done. And they argue that there's enough of an overlap in the shareholder bases that there's going to be support for them. So, Jim, Carl, we're going to see what happens here. Interesting, we haven't heard from Xerox yet. Will there be some sort of talks that lead to at least some due diligence that gets you down the road even further, Jim? I don't know at this point, but it certainly has to be uh, thought of. Both stocks, both stocks moved up on the prospect of a combination, and I think both are moving down today, at least on this rejection. You know, David, I am struck by how the, the language is a little conciliatory. I mean, you know, HP is saying, look, we remain open to something, uh, they did no longer say in their comments to me 
that, you know what, let's give uh, Enrique Loras more of a chance, who's the new CEO, instead of to say, look, we could possibly do something. These aren't the right prices. They do say that Xerox is, yes, desperate because of their balance sheet. Uh, they do say that their own company is good value. But this is not scorched earth at all. I feel this is more like, OK, listen, you guys are off the mark. Uh, it, but the combination isn't crazy. Yep. Yep. It, you're right. It definitely not scorched earth in any way, leaving that door open, at least making their own shareholder base perhaps feel better about it. Xerox, though, in a, in a difficult position because how high, much higher could they really go in terms of an offer? They'd have to yeah. increase the cash position because if you throw more stock in it, you end up with HP owners owning more than 50 percent of the combination. Gets back to who, what management team would lead the company. They, of course, claim that Xerox's management team will be far better positioned to deliver on those synergies than would the, as they say, it's slow-moving HP, Jim. Uh, these guys are all from HP, the leaders. I mean, slow-moving. Give me a break. That's a good place to leave it. Jim's skepticism is intact. Uh, let's get to Rick Santelli before we get to Bob this morning. Hey, Rick. Hey, I like to go first. Good morning. I'll tell you, if you look at interest rates this morning, the short end started to give back some ground, whereas it's mostly been the long end. Uh, it's very interesting. 30-year bonds were briefly only down a basis point. They're catching up. But the point is, as you look at this one-week chart, we're slowly melting away. We failed in the mid-190s. It looks like if you open the chart up to June, we kind of have an upward sloping channel. Maybe it's even a wedge. But one thing that seems for sure, no matter what tenure you insert in that June 1st time frame, it basically looks the same. Tired, running out of gas a bit. But here's the fly in the ointment. Zoom it back to the year 2000. There's very little doubt what you're looking at is a significant, historic, long-term bottom. But that bottom takes you in the mid-130s. We're hovering at 180. We could still melt away a lot of basis points, and that would what makes this area tricky. One thing that isn't tricky, the polls, Boris Johnson, the commitment that maybe many of those MPs are going to vote for Brexit if his horsepower holds up in the December elections. Well, the pound is certainly in favor of that as you look at the one-week chart. And if you open it up to May... It is really on the brink of overtaking 130. Breakout material would be the best level against the greenback since May. Carl, David, Jim, back to you. All right, Rick, thanks. Uh, Rick Santelli, let's get to Bob, see what's moving on the floor. Good morning, Bob. Well, we were up earlier on, but there was talk of constructive talks over the weekend. But look at the S&P futures. Eunice Noon, Noon, our uh, reporter over, uh, over there, saying... Outlook kind of pessimistic over there. Trump apparently not wanting to roll back any of those tariffs. The Chinese want that. Market moved down on that. And you can see, of course, trade, the nominal mover of the market these days. But don't kid yourself. The usual names here, energy, materials, industrials, banks week. The big move up, down last week rather, in yields was a major problem for the banks. Down again today. Again, that moved down on the trade talks. Utilities fractionally on the upside. But don't kid yourself. We're still essentially at new highs. Here's the Friday numbers uh, that we were looking at here. New highs on the S&P 500. Mid cap is just below new highs. Small cap, even Europe, just below new highs here. It's a very, very broad rally. And if you want to see how broad it is, just take a look at some of the sectors in new highs. How often do you see value and growth hitting new 52-week highs at the same time? There's growth uh, and uh, value is also hitting a new high as well. Uh, tech and healthcare also uh, hitting new highs. Very rare to see value and growth at the same 
time. Remember, value essentially banks, Walmart and Apple. Growth is essentially your Amazon and your Microsoft here. So moving the markets are trade wars as well as the Fed here. A hope for a resolution, but you see that moves up and down on a daily basis. The big thing, I think, more importantly, is the belief that global growth may be bottoming for 2020 and not as bad as people thought even a few months ago. We're also seeing outflows from bond funds. And some inflows into stock funds, people have been waiting for this for a long time. That may help the overall markets here. Are earnings bottoming at all? We don't quite know, but the important thing is we're going to be flat for 2020. And if this number holds for, for excuse me, flat for 2019, if that holds for 2020, the market is definitely going to move a little bit higher because a lot of people feel we're going to essentially be flat in 2020. So there's the nominal mover here. If you can bottom on global growth, we've got a chance for mid-single-digit growth in earnings. And, Carl, that's always ultimately the mover of the markets. Back to you. All right, Bob, thanks. When we come back, investors in Snap have certainly had reasons to smile this year. Stocks up 160% for the year to date. And an exclusive with Evan Spiegel's coming up this morning. Dow's down 19. New York Times with a statement to CNBC regarding their dispute with FedEx. FedEx's colorful response does not actually challenge a single fact in our story. We are confident in the accuracy of our reporting. Meantime, uh, Dow awfully flat to open this busy week. We're down four points. Don't go away. Jim, what's on Matt tonight? All right, big show. We've got Twitter, uh, Airbnb, Levi's, and Zendesk. I like to throw a lot at people when I'm out here. Brian Chesky, David. Holy cow. Yeah. I mean, come on. What a oh, booking. Man. Say it. Just say it. Wow. This is all amazing. By the way, don't forget to ask Chip Berger about HP. He's the lead director, right? Yes. You, you know, you have no keen eye for the obvious. You have a keen eye for looking around the corner. Great. Amazing guests all week. I know you have, Jim. Incredible. Thank you. Yeah. Well, we like to come out here and just not twiddle our thumbs. And he does it all without any sleep, Carl. Uh, apparently not. Zero. Yeah. You've been listening to the opening bell on CNBC's Squawk on the Street. From pit lane to podium, the Las Vegas Grand Prix is providing fans a race day experience at the speed they deserve with the help of T-Mobile for Business. Our 5G advanced network solutions are powering race day operations with event-wide connectivity. From streamlined gate entry to an immersive app, giving fans blazing fast access to the sport they love. This is accelerating innovation. This is the Las Vegas Grand Prix with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now.